0: Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Am I on? I'm on there. Okay, I think we're good. Awesome. Well, I just want to say what a privilege it is to be here with you guys this morning. Um, Lori and I were not here last weekend. We were at a uh, conference called Kingdom Explosion, and the kingdom kind of exploded all over us. So it was all good. And, and, so uh, that uh, that'll lead me into what we're doing today a little bit. Um, the, uh, the Vineyard Distinctives is what we've been uh, working our way through. These are the things that make us who we are as a church, the things that set the Vineyard apart and say, you know, if I want to come to your church, you know, what's your church about? You know, what is it that makes it different than the church down the street or the church down the street? Is it just like all the different restaurants, and I want this flavor or that flavor. What is it? And so we've been spending some time on that. The, uh, the three topics we've hit so far, uh, the main and the plain, which just means we're trying to keep it simple. You know, we're not trying to make life so difficult on everybody that you got to go, I'm so confused. Why did I come? Um, so it's keeping it simple, come Holy Spirit. We have a huge value on not leaving out one-third of the Trinity. You know, we got God the Father, God the Son, and oh, by the way, the Holy Spirit, and I don't know what to say about it. No, that's not who we are. We believe that the Holy Spirit is every bit as much God as Jesus and, and the Father are, and we value that highly. So that was the second one. And then everyone gets to play. What that means is we do not believe that the pastors and the, the leaders of the church that have gone through the right classes are the only ones that get to do the things that Jesus did while he was here. And so that's another high value of ours. And, uh, and I want to move to the next one that we're going to do today here. And so I'm going to test you guys. So I'm going to start something. And then when I stop, I want you guys to tell me the three words that follow. All right. So here's a test. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. All righty. I say, you guys did good. There must have been enough caffeine flowing around this morning there. Um, thy kingdom come, you know. The church I grew up in, we prayed the Lord's Prayer every Sunday morning as part of what the service was. And i got to tell you, I never knew what I was praying. It was part of the, the ritual of church. And I said that so many hundreds of times, and nobody ever told me what I was asking for. You know, I mean, as... You know, you would think that somewhere along the way they would say, hey, we pray this prayer every week for a reason, here is why, and here's what we're really asking for. You know, uh, most scholars don't believe that Jesus intended this to be a prayer that just got repeated time and time again. Instead, it was a model for the things that he was telling the disciples to pray for because they asked him, what should we, how do we pray? And he gave them this model saying, you know, First of all, you know, tell God who he is. Hallowed be thy name, Father. You know, we honor you. We worship. That's what we've just been doing in song. And then the next thing he said was, that kingdom, we want it here and we want it here now. And that's the the vineyard distinctive we're going to be talking about today. Let your kingdom come. You know, outside of giving honor to the Father, it was the very next thing that Jesus said, I want you to ask for when you pray. You know, when John the Baptist started preaching, it's recorded in Matthew 3, 2, his, he'd say, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Nice, easy message. Didn't, yeah, didn't, I don't think it was a 30-minute message it said that. He just uh, you know, spoke that out. And uh, we know, of course, he was referring to Jesus who was coming. John said, the kingdom Is here. Now, at the risk of sounding obvious, when Jesus told his disciples to pray this, it would not be normal to tell somebody to ask for something you already have. So, John said, The kingdom's here. Jesus told his disciples all the time, The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. Okay, so if John said it's here, if Jesus said it's here, Why did he tell us to ask for it? I mean, you know, why do we ask for something that's already here? So I guess the question is, you know, we need to figure out what that is so that we can understand what we are asking for. If you had the opportunity, which would have been so amazing, to walk those three years on the earth with Jesus, you'd have seen the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, demons cast out, people raised from the dead, you'd have seen all those things because the kingdom is here. That's what you would have seen. That's the way the kingdom came as Jesus came on the earth. So if that's the way the kingdom came, when we ask for the kingdom to come, shouldn't it look like that? I mean, the way the kingdom came is the way the kingdom should come. Does that make sense? Okay, so when we're asking for the kingdom to come, that's part of what what we're asking for. So if when you pray that, if you are in the habit of praying the Lord's Prayer or using it as a model for the things to, to pray about, are you expecting that? When you say, thy kingdom come, or let your kingdom come, or kingdom come now, or whatever verbiage you want to use do you realize that's what you're asking for? Because that's, you know, that is what we want. Jesus tells us in that, that his Father's will isn't always done here on the earth. Because the next part of that line, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, again, you're not going to ask for something you already have. So he's acknowledging it's not always done. You know, Father, what we want is your kingdom here. We want your will to be done here. Just like it is up there. That's our heart. That's our desire. We want at our church, here in the vineyard, in all the churches around the world, we want sick people to come here and walk out whole. We want people that are struggling with depression to leave here without it. We want health. We want wholeness. We want people to walk in victory, not in defeat. That's what happens when the kingdom comes. You read scripture where Jesus says, you know, where it says, Jesus ministered to everyone in that town. I don't know how big that town was, but that wouldn't have been easy. <laughs> you know, it's a, but I guarantee you that town was not the same when he left as when he came. That's what our life is supposed to be. When we go into our workplace, it's not supposed to look the same as it did before we worked there. Our community Josh and Jody are moving to a new home. Their community is going to be different because they're moving in there. Okay? That's what we're called to do. You know, John Wimber is the founder of the Vineyard Movement. And one of the, the key things that started in that, he had the hunger and the thirst to see the things of God. You know, he was saved out of a rather wild lifestyle and then as he got hold of a Bible, he'd never read anything before. And he's just reading it and studying it reading it and studying. And the church, the way I hear this story told, and I hope it's accurate, the, uh, you know, he goes up to the pastor after being at, being at this church for a little while and says, holds his Bible says, when do we get to do the stuff in here? And the pastor goes, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, I've been reading the Gospels and Acts. And you know, Jesus healed people. You know the, the disciples got to do that. He said we'd get to do it. When do we get to do it? And he goes, well, he goes, I, you know, I'm not really sure that's for today. And supposedly he looked back at him and go, and I gave up drugs for this. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, and there's, there's some humor in that. But there's a reality. If you don't get anything that Jesus promised, why are we doing this? What are we here for if it's not to do the things that Jesus said to do, you know it, what's interesting, as we look at the DNA of our church, because this is about the distinctives of who we are, as we look at that DNA of who we are, you know our church was founded on a major move of God, signs and wonders and healings and miracles and I mean really, really cool stuff. I've been at two different conferences in the last couple of months where the, that were not vineyard conferences but leaders of movements that are doing some amazing things, both of them gave reference to, well, John Wimber said, they were, I mean, they acknowledged the things that they learned from there. One of the speakers was, had actually grown up in Wimber's church in Anaheim. And, you know, as they told these things from their background, I'm going, that's my church! <laughs> you know, I mean, but the DNA of who we are, that is who we are. You know, there is, you know, some of that as, as things go through cycles. The vineyard hasn't continued to pursue that as an overall whole. There's been some pockets of it in the same manner that it was when it was birthed. But the good news is there are a lot of people speaking into the vineyard and seeing some things. There are churches that are hungry and going, this is who we are as a church. Why aren't we living this out? We want this to be our movement. We want this to be who we are. And that's our heart for this church as well. You know, we want, if you come here and you've got something wrong physically in your body, we want to pray for that and see it go. You know, that's that's who we want to be for that. So... I do want to give you some scriptural background for what the kingdom coming looks like, and, uh, you know, because as they say, it's not an official meeting until you squ- quote scripture, right? Uh, the, uh, Daniel 7, let's go back to the Old Testament. Daniel 7, starting in verse 13. Daniel is recording a vision that he had here, and he says, In my vision at night I looked. There before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations, all peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now that is Daniel seeing supernaturally Jesus' reign. Okay? And he says that is a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Now as, as a little side note, if any of you have ever wondered why Jesus refers to himself in the third person back before it was popular to do so, uh, <laughs> you know, this passage right here where it says the Son of Man came to the Ancient of Days, he was referring to himself that way because there were always Pharisees, the people that knew the Old Testament, that recognized that saying and go, is he saying he's that one right there? And because the Pharisees didn't like him, it was probably to them, I don't think Jesus meant it this way, but it was probably a little dig, there he goes again, he, he's got to stop saying that. Because <laughs> you know, he was acknowledging that he stands in the very presence of God. And that's a, so if anybody ever says, "Why does Jesus refer to himself as the Son of Man? You can take him right to Daniel 7 and you can answer that question. So, so Jesus was given an everlasting dominion, a kingdom that will not be destroyed. So let's start with what the definition of kingdom is. Do we have that up there? Definition of kingdom. This is out of Strong's, if you guys ever use the Strong's concordance there. Three things there. Royal power, kingship, dominion, rule, a kingdom, the territory subject to the rule of a king, and then used in the New Testament to refer to the reign of the Messiah. The territory subject to the rule of the king. Okay, that's what we're talking about here but we're not talking about an earthly king okay so this is not going to be you know the same as okay I'm going south here let's see United States is here Mexico is there I'm in Mexico I'm in the United States I'm in Mexico I mean it's it's not a kingdom that you can draw a line in the sand like that okay this is a spiritual realm kingdom all right and You know, to recognize what that looks like a little bit, I think a picture that that works for me, and I hope it works for you too, um, is uh, have you ever flown an airplane into a city at night, and the city has these patches of light everywhere? Some of them are really condensed, and it's like the whole thing is light. And then other places, it's a little darker with a light here patched here and there. There are a lot of places in scripture that refer to the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, you know, dark and light as the analogies. I think that's the way, if you could look from the spiritual perspective, that's the way the kingdom really looks like. There's areas where there's just so much light. Like this room is just, okay? There's areas that there's so much light with a little dark here or there, and you know who you are. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, um, and then. But there are places, you know, there are places in, in every city. I didn't say that. Did I? <laughs> um, you know, there are places in every city that feel really dark when you go in them, but there's always a little light there too. Okay, and that I, I really think that as you try and get your mind wrapped around the picture of what um, you know the, the two realms look like. It, it really, like I said, it's not a line in the sand, but it's light and it's dark and it's brighter over here and not as much over there. So the, is that, does that make sense for you guys or it just works for me? Okay. Um, you know, and, and as I said, through the scripture, light and darkness is used a lot to describe the difference in the kingdom. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit a couple of those light and dark passages. First Peter 2, nine, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Don't you like the way that sounds? You are God's special possession. That's not even what this message is about, and I like that. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the light. Okay? That is what God has called for each and every one of us. Called us out of darkness into the light. And then in 1 John 1, 5-7. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Any of you who have been around here for any length of time know that we've spent a lot of time talking about what our image of God looks like. Okay? How do we view the Father? Well, this verse is a really good reminder of how we need to view the Father. He is light. There is no darkness. Okay? That means 100% light, 0% dark. When we are asking for the kingdom to come, we are asking for 100% health, 100% wholeness, 100% light to be here when we ask for the kingdom to come. That's what it's like in heaven. That's the rest of that verse in the Lord's Prayer that says, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, that 100% light, there's not going to be need for a sun up there. Okay? I mean, God is 100% light. So anytime you are looking to attribute something to God, if it's not 100% light, it's not God. In him, there is no darkness at all. Okay. Then, if you grasp that, the next part of this, I think makes more sense. And this is, I'm a practical guy, this is the practical part of stuff here. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, okay. if we do that, we have fellowship with one another. But if we claim, if we just say, I got it, I'm good, yet we're walking in the darkness, are we really walking in truth? Not according to that scripture. And since I believe God's word to be true, I kind of am going to go that way. So recognize, you know, again, what did we say one of the things was the man in the plane? Let's keep this simple here. We make too many things way too complicated. Walk in the light, you're in the light. Walk in the darkness, you're kidding yourself. Okay, That's plain enough, isn't it? Now, by the way, I'm just going to say, that's not a promise that life's always going to be easy, because it's not always easy, but it is a promise that we've got the light in us to deal with what's not easy. Okay? Check out what John says in, uh, in John 1, 1 through 5. I love the start of this uh, book. Anyway. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the world—excuse me—and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing has been made. Was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There are times where we feel like, if you're going to be honest with yourself, probably, where you feel like the dark is trying to snuff out the light. Okay? It can't happen. The darkness will never win. Okay? You walk into a pitch black room, all you need is a match, and there's light. There's, I mean, there may still be darkness in the room, but it isn't completely dark anymore because you brought a little light. It doesn't need much, and the darkness cannot put that out. Okay? It doesn't matter how dark and yucky it feels. You've got the light in you, so darkness will not win. You know, if you're like me, you read scriptures like this that talk about the light, and you, you take the Bible and you go, Yeah, that's it. I want that. I, I want to live that way. That's what I want. And then you go home and you sit down and you turn the news on. And of course, there's no good news. I mean, that's not what the news is about, right? I mean, terrorist attacks, bombings, rapes, murders, you know, politics. But none of it feels good, does it? Okay, I mean, you're watching it and you go, you know, I want to bring light into this world, but you know, I mean, what chance do I have in the midst of all this junk? Well, I'm just going to offer up an opinion here because I can't prove this. I think there's a really good chance the mainstream media is owned and operated by the dark side. I'm just, you know, it's not exactly scriptural, but I'm just saying, you know, it's not, I mean, if it were God, you'd watch the news and be uplifted when you were done, wouldn't you? I mean, you know, so... If you feel that way every time you watch it, that should be one of two things for you: should cause you to pray against everything you just watched, or turn it off. Yeah, I mean, because really, there's nothing good that comes out of filling yourself with the junk of the world. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't good, godly people in the media because I know there are in Hollywood and you know in in the media they are, but they don't get much of a voice. Yeah, the uh, When was the last time you saw on a mainstream media news source of somebody going into a hospital praying for someone that had been told they had less than a month to live and that person walking out there cancer-free or healthy or whatever else, when was the last time the mainstream media put a story like that out there? I can't remember seeing it. But it happens, doesn't it? So, you know, the... I just think the kingdom of darkness has a better marketing department than we do, a more aggressive one, You know, because it's not that God isn't moving out there. Yeah, I mean, you know, you watch the movies, TV. The kingdom of darkness is even sometimes portrayed as pretty cool. I mean, they give him demons and werewolves and all these things. And, I mean, there's even, and I refuse to watch this, but I've seen the trailers before. There's even a TV show out there named Lucifer now. Okay, and they make the devil look cool. They give him a vibe and you go... He ain't so bad okay? you know, now, one thing that has been on the opposite side of the coin we 've started to see a few movies come into the theater that have a good godly feel to them that have the, you know where you walk away and go that 's what my God did that 's right because there 's a bunch of them that are based on true stories you to uh, you know and, and encourage you to to see those and support those because that means more of them will come, but even in that i 've yet to see one of them that portrays the supernatural realm in a positive light the way these others portray the demons and the demonic in that light. And I want to see that. I want to go watch a movie where the angels get really nasty with the demons and send them where they belong. Okay, That's what I want to see. Because that's real. When we pray for the kingdom to come and we do warfare on God's behalf, that's what happens in the supernatural realm. But we don't have good pictures of it because there's no models for it out there. Okay? So, in saying that, I mean, don't hear me saying that the battle's not winnable because the battle's already been won. We already know the light's stronger than the darkness. We just hit that, right? Okay? We know that the battle between God and Satan is not a battle of equal and opposites. Okay, This is a battle where the bad guy can't win. I mean, if there were an odds maker in Vegas willing to take a bet on that, he wouldn't. Because it's a fixed fight. Nobody takes bets on a fixed fight. If they know it's fixed. <laughs> but, you know, that's what we're in. We're in the middle of a fixed fight. Too many people, good Christian people, resign themselves when the enemy is pressing in. Remind them, resign themselves to, well, I guess that's just the way it is. No, that's not right. That's not what 100% light looks like. That's not what the kingdom looks like. Yeah, I was, I was at a conference a few years back. There, there's a guy named Gary Best that's the, uh, um, at the time at least, I don't know if he still is, was the head of all the vineyards in Canada. And he's an author. He wrote a book, a really good book I'd recommend, called Naturally Supernatural. But in this conference, he was talking about how people, their view of the supernatural It's like there's this little thin little veil above us that is, you know, supernatural is above that, and we're walking around in the natural. And he said, you know, people are in search of the supernatural. They don't just know what it looks like. So they go around poking and trying to find a thin spot in there, and they they go run under. They found out, you know, a bunch of people say, hey, over this conference over here, the spirit's really moving. So they run over and they get under. And, come on, supernatural, I'm, I'm all in. You know, and, then, and then that one starts to, to thin out and dry up a little, and so they run over to this next one, and it's like, ha, oh, and found another spot. And then they think that that's how they go find the supernatural, find the move of God. But that's not it. It's not a, a veil between us here, up and down here. Instead, it's all around us. Okay? I want, and I'm just speaking selfishly here, I want to see beyond that veil because I believe everything that's around us I believe the supernatural is active in this room right now and we just can't see it I believe everywhere we go in our workplace, in our homes, at the grocery store that the supernatural is active there and we need to be pressing in to ask God to give us eyes to see that so we can join in to what he is already doing because he's moving He's moving in a major way, and it's awesome. I believe that the more we press into that, the more God will reveal that in our spirits to what's going on around, so that we can take part, and we can rejoice in that at the same time. So that tomb supernatural gets tossed around a lot, right? So what's it mean? Things that are beyond our natural understanding, is really what the supernatural is. We don't understand it. We can't explain how it happens, so we put the supernatural title on it, right? Think about, go back to Jesus' time. You get invited to a wedding. okay? Probably not a real wealthy family, because wealthy families don't run out of wine. Just saying. (laughs) uh, So so it's just probably a very ordinary little wedding, and all of a sudden, there's this, tap on the shoulder, they're out of wine. Hey, they're out of wine. And all of a sudden, Jesus gets brought into this picture because he was at the wedding. And at first he goes, why are you talking to me about this? It's not my time yet. But then he goes, all right, all right, I got this. And he tells him to go fill the the jars with water, and then all of a sudden, they're not water, it's wine. Well, to anyone who just understood what happened, that's just mind-blowing. You know, so I filled that with water. How could that be wine right now? They have no explanation for that. None. But to Jesus, it was no big deal. Okay? Because what is supernatural to us is natural to him. Okay? That's one of the things that that I really want to to grasp with what we're talking about when we refer to the supernatural of the kingdom. What doesn't really click for us because it's beyond our understanding is natural for God. It's easy for him. Okay? So there is a, you know, I think one of the values of the three years of the ministry time with the disciples that were ordinary unschooled men, as Bob taught about, Pastor Bob taught about a couple weeks ago, you know, the ordinary unschooled men, they didn't have a grid work for the supernatural. And in the three years of walking along with Jesus, that changed totally, didn't it? Okay? Instead of going into the first city and going, what are we doing here? Fast forward a year, a year and a half, two years down the road, and they're going to this new city. And and these disciples are looking around Show me the lame, show me the blind, where's the deaf guy? Bring him over here, bring him over. Watch what Jesus can do. Okay, their expectation level shifted. What changed? The supernatural was now natural, they lived in expectation of seeing it happen. Okay, they didn't live in expectation of them being able to do it yet, that was to come. But they started living the expectation of seeing it happen. And then, if you can believe this, what Jesus said next in John 14, starting with verse 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do all the works I've been doing. They will do even greater things because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Ask anything in my name, and I'm going to do it. Well, if you were the disciple sitting there, what would your reaction be? No way. Uh Uh-uh. You know, I can't go walk to that guy over there that can't even walk and hadn't walked for 38 years. I can't go walk, walk over to him and tell him to pick up his mat and walk. Thomas goes, well, maybe... I could pray for a headache, maybe. That's not scriptural, by the way. Uh, uh, But they're asking themselves, could I do this? Is he serious? He expects us to raise the dead? He expects us to go pray for that guy with leprosy over there and watch his skin come clean? That blind guy so he can see? Is he really talking to me? Yes, and he's talking to you, too. That that message right there, that verse, is not for the disciples only. That's for all of us in here. Okay, That's what that is about. He tells them, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you so you'll have both the power and the authority to do these things. Do we believe that? Because if we're serious as a church as a movement, as individuals about let your kingdom come, we better be serious about that because that's what that means. Yeah. The sad thing is throughout history there have been seasons where the church itself has explained away these things and said, you know, they were just for that time. You know, it was all the way, you know, it had been like 1,900 years since Jesus was on the earth, and some guy decides to write a book and coins the the term cessation theory, Okay, where it says that 1,900 years ago when Jesus did this, he just did it for the disciples. Never mind all the times through history where healings had occurred and all this stuff, but he writes a book, and people grab it at their churches and go, huh, that's why nothing happens at our church. And then they say, well, you know, we believe in the cessation theory. Jesus and his disciples needed that then, but we don't need it now because... We have the Bible. Really? I mean, is that what God said? Good answer. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I think one of the enemy's tactics in our lives is if he can't keep you from following Christ, he wants to make you ineffective. Okay? If he can make you ineffective and watch the wild and crazy televangelist on TV be healed, brothers and sisters, you know, and you go... Why would I want to do that? You know, If he can make you think that way and go, if that's what healing's about, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to look that weird. People are not going to like me. And I'm not saying God doesn't use some of these ministries. Don't hear me saying that. But if it looks weird, we may get turned off to it. Well, God's not weird. We don't understand him completely. But you read the scriptures and the way Jesus healed and stuff, it seemed pretty matter-of-factly it didn 't seem like he put on a show ever. You know, I think the, the thing that when, when the enemy can succeed in making us ineffective, we 're still the light, but we 're about a five watt bulb instead of a hundred watt bulb, okay we 're not bringing very much of it, and that doesn't change communities in the way we're supposed to be doing that. you know, even John, the Baptist, once he got put in prison, questioned yeah. Jesus, is he the one? And so he sent messengers out there, and the message that came back to John was, go back and report to John what you see and hear. This is in uh, Matthew 11, starting verse 2. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. That's what the kingdom coming looked like. Then, when we ask the kingdom to come, it's what it looks like now. Right? Okay, head goes this way. So, <laughs> yeah. What level of expectation are you walking in? When you go through your day, when you go to work, how many of you have ever said this? It's Monday. Okay. What level of expectation are you walking in? I'll go back to work. I mean, they make great little memes about it and everything, right? (laughs) You know, I mean, but that's not walking in any level of expectation. When you come to church, do you expect to have an encounter with the living God? Or do you just come because it's what you do? I mean, that's the level of expectation we live in is going to be directly related to what we experience. If we don't expect to see anything, guess what we're going to see? Pretty good chance of probably not much. You know, we're going to see what we expect to see. My desire is to have for our church, and I know I speak for the entire leadership team when I say this here, is to have the testimonies of what God is doing in your life take so long to share that we don't have time to preach anymore. Okay. A, I mean, not that we want to put anybody out of a job, don't get me wrong. But I mean, we want to be able to celebrate so much of what God is doing in your life from last Sunday to this Sunday that we go, that is just so cool. We need to share another one. And we need to share another one. And we need to share another one over here. That's, the, that's what we want this body to be. That's what we've been called to be, too. Okay? That is not some pie in the sky. Well, it'd be nice if... That's who we are. Let the kingdom come. That's in the DNA of who we are as a church, as who we are as a movement. It's okay to walk in that expectation of seeing that every single day of your life. I want to see God come in such a tangible way that my worldview is so shifted that everything in the supernatural is normal. Okay? That nothing surprises me anymore. Okay? that's what I want. That's who we are. We may not have walked all the way into that yet, but it's who we are, okay? So I know to use the phrase that I've got to land this plane pretty soon here, but I, I want to add one final thought. Now, when Pastor Bob says one final thought, you've got 20 minutes left. I really have one final thought here, okay? <laughs> 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 and uh, it's just one paragraph, honest. Uh, <laughs> Um, I'm just teasing. We love you, Pastor Bob. Um, for us to live individual and collective lives that are living out the kingdom, we must love like Jesus loved. Okay? No agenda. Okay? Jesus didn't have an agenda for his love. Okay? It would be great and easy to go there as a church as we're as we're Walking through our planning needs and saying, This is what our future holds. It would be great to say, Wouldn't it be cool for revival to come in us and not have enough parking spots and the building, we outgrow it and need multiple services? Wouldn't it be great for God to move so we could have that? Well, that's church with an agenda. Okay? Even though it'd be cool and we would all go, Yeah, that'd be awesome. That's church with an agenda. If we love like Jesus loved, He didn't have a marketing campaign. In fact, he told people, shh, don't tell anybody what I just did for you. Okay? He, he just loved. We have to desire as individuals and a church to love the way Jesus loved. There are numerous scriptures that start out with, and Jesus filled with compassion. Healed this man or delivered this man. Okay? That compassion and that love is who we need to be. Think back to John 3.16. It was love that caused God to send his son. No other motive but love. Okay? God's agenda was love. And he loved us so much, and he didn't want us to perish, so he sent Jesus. And what did Jesus bring? This goes full circle here. He brought the kingdom with him. Let your kingdom come. Love. Love. The kingdom is ours. The plane's landed. Okay? Joshua, why don't you come back up? What I hope you've gotten just a little picture of today is that the kingdom is ours for the moving in. Okay? When we ask the kingdom to come, that's one of our values as a vineyard. We get to see it. Okay? I've asked Josh just to go ahead and just lead us in a song. I want you to just, in this time of of just a minute or two of worship here, just ask God to speak to you here and let you dream a little bit about what the kingdom coming can look like in your role in it. Okay? Because guess what? None of us are excluded from the body. We are all different parts in it. So we want to desire that to find that role that each of us carry in that, which is to bring the kingdom into our lives. Go ahead, John.